Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Technically. And today I am joined by, should I call him a stalwart in the uh, renewable energy industry? Uh, I, I don't know how to describe the man. Uh, we had a conversation with him, I think, a year ago. Um, he's the chief executive officer of uh, Distributed Power Africa. Or is it now Distributed Power Technologies? No, it's Distributed Power Africa. You're correct. Ah, fantastic. So, Mr. Norman Technologies Moyes. is just the company name, but we our brand name remains Distributed Power Africa. Ah, fantastic. So, you heard the man himself, Mr. Norman Moyo. Uh, yeah. uh, how are you, how South Africa, on this cold uh, winter evening? It is very good. Uh, no complaints. At least there is a bit of power. So, it does you know, keep all of us warm. But um, yeah, it's an exciting period that we are in. Uh, I think both as a continent uh, and as a country, uh, particularly from an energy perspective. Oh, fantastic. So since it's been almost a year since our last conversation, I was curious to know what DPA has been doing. Uh, we've, we've noticed the EDF deals, which congratulations, by the way, um, to pull the French um, energy company into a deal in South Africa is fantastic. But what else have you been up to as, as, as a company? Yeah, I would start with uh, the, 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 the announcement you just made reference to. Uh, uh, this is, has been a partnership we have been working on over the past four and a half years, which has evolved, uh, I think, from a, just a technic, technology partnership into an equity partnership uh, and now an industrial strategic partnership. Uh, as you probably know, some of maybe our readers and listeners won't know, but EDF is one of the largest energy groups in the world with possibly a lot of renewable energy under their belt. They certainly also boast of running some of the largest nuclear plants for energy purposes globally. And, and, and I think to be able to handle some of the I call them the seismic challenges that we see in energy in Africa, you do need a big partner like EDF. So we, we are very excited by their uh, extension of their investment in South Africa, where they have taken up a 50% equity stake. They've also joined us in Kenya 18 months ago, where they also took another 50% stake. And for the rest of our Africa business, they are going to be, we're going to be tied to the hip. So I think this brings a lot of execution capabilities, a lot of reference, a lot of technology advantages, the economies of scale in terms of supply chain. And I think we can now handle any major deal for any major mine corporate industry in the continent with a lot of ease, thanks to having a partner like EDF. So it is a major development for us, uh, Valentine, and it's something that we're very excited about. And uh, we believe will be a game changer in the energy, particularly distributed energy space in the continent. Fantastic. I'm, I'm really curious about how that conversation happened. So did you guys approach EDF or did they see the potential in DPA? So. You know, at the very early stage, I think the chairman in particular indicated that uh, I think one of the biggest challenges in Africa after telecoms, possibly after health, is definitely energy. And I think I've shared that with you before. Mm -hmm. If I needed to fix the infrastructural problems in Africa, 
I should start by fixing energy. That was probably five, six years ago when that statement was true, but it's much more relevant today where you now have got blackouts, load shedding, even in markets like South Africa, which cannot even afford a four minute load shedding, entertaining a four hour load shedding is unthinkable, but that is the reality we now live. So it's a sheer existential crisis. Now to convert, part of the problem with energy is the underinvestment in the grid infrastructure. Mm. So if you are looking at EDF, they run majority of the energy in places like the UK, obviously in France, Belgium, even in South America. So very early on, we realized that if we are going to be able to transform the energy space and make energy available and accessible to the business, to the consumers, to and every man in the street of Harare, Johannesburg, Nairobi, Lusaka, Lagos, we need a player of either EDF, either Total, or either NG. I'm not allowed to say some of those names. Mm. So I'll stop there, don't repeat them. <laughs> but EDF eventually emerged as one of the most, I think, dedicated and committed partner in the continent. So around two and a half years ago, there was a huge conference in Nairobi where our chairman, Mr. Masiwa, the president of uh, EDF, now nah, let's just say the chairman of EDF, mm. the president of Kenya, and the president of, of, of France, were all in one conference. And we all agreed that immediately Africa, corporate Africa needs at least a minimum of 500 megawatts worth of power to just keep the economics working. And power for Africa was needed both from an energy security point of view, cost perspective, and also the carbon clean energy perspective. And this is what brought the discussions with EDF. So we flew to Paris, spent some time with them. They understood the vision. And then they came through and says, we like a partner like yourselves. You have got boots on ground and you, you have got a 20 year history working in the continent. So, and we have got an appetite to be one of the largest energy players in the world, particularly in the clean energy space. That's, that's, that's great. I mean, getting someone like EDF to, to recognize that is, uh, is, is truly amazing. Uh, and the chairman did a lot of work. I'm, I'm sure his presence helped in conveying the African message to, uh, to EDF. Not that they're not unfamiliar, because I'm, I'm pretty sure they have some stake in Francophone countries, uh, because France is still quite prevalent in those countries. Yes, I think the chairman obviously is, is a, is a well-recognized uh, leader and visionary in the continent, having obviously spearheaded the telecommunications, the fiber business, as you know, the depth and the breadth of liquid telecoms, and now we're talking of cassava technologies from Cape to Cairo. So obviously, if you want to play in the energy space, energy is the underlying railway to build anything else on the continent. And anyone who has got a real appetite and, and vision for Africa, obviously would find having such a visionary in the room and as part of your partner, a major strategic advantage. And they, they understood that from day one. And I think that's why even the tra transaction has been very fluid, very fast, very effective. It's a big company but they have moved 
in a very nimble and agile well, way because they know that I think we also bring in the African context to the energy crisis. Mm-hmm. So bringing the, the, the context now, um, you're in South Africa, I'm sure ESCOM has has memes and complaints about the power generation in, in, in South Africa, Zimbabwe, ZESA, we've got, you know, our problems with ZESA. Um, so when we saw independent power producers coming to Zimbabwe with the advent of IPPs, uh, we were expecting a more significant impact when it comes to power generation, both in South Africa and in Zimbabwe. Uh, speaking from the Zimbabwean context, I'll selfishly do so. We haven't seen, um, we've seen corporate things like, um, you know, uh, on corporate plants, but not necessarily uh, grid, uh, grid-wide or grid-focused uh, renewable energy generation. So I'm curious to know uh, what have been the stumbling blocks, if any, uh, why we haven't seen this the impact that many expected when these IPPs were uh, came about. So Valentine, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, I try to simplify the answer for you. Mm-hmm. If I have got a million dollars today and I need to build a, an energy plant, I can build it one megawatt with a million dollars, probably a little bit less. Uh, Then I've got a few off-takers that can take that one megawatt. One of them could be one of the big mines in Zimbabwe. It could be any of your blue chip companies in Zimbabwe. Mm. And then the other alternative is also the utility grid themselves. And this problem, Valentine, is not unique to Zimbabwe. It's a continental-wide problem with the exception of a few countries where the grid utility has been unfortunately reeling under a lot of debt from legacy-related decision or policies that we've made in the continent. So the the utility, which is supposed to be in the off-taker, becomes very unattractive for me to deploy that $1 million. So if Mm -hmm. I have got a Delta, if I have got a Coca-Cola, if I've got a Unilever or a Nestle or any of the mines, Mimosa, saying, Norman, I would like a megawatt to keep my mine operational. And I'm willing to sign a 10 to 15-year agreement for you to deliver clean power to me, cheaper because it's coming from solar and carbon-friendly. Would you do it? So the answer is naturally yes, Valentine. It Mm. doesn't take a lot of, you know, calculations because of that. Now, IPPs, by their nature, have to generate big power systems. One of your biggest and easiest off-taker would be the utility player in the country. But the problem is the utility is still settled with a lot of legacy issues, which makes them very unattractive for an IPP. Now, we could sit here and debate and punch each other in the face. Those are facts of life. What then needs to happen is what we see as a big opportunity is to move past the utility, the same way we moved past the fixed line and bring on this distributed energy as an opportunity. It actually saves both parties very well. It saves the utility very well. So I'll give you a classic. I can generate a 10 megawatt anyway in a, in a, in a, in a rural site in Zimbabwe and put it on a, onto the grid and deliver it to any mine in Zimbabwe. I will rent the system that ZESA has. One of the biggest assets ZESA has today is their transmission infrastructure. Mm. It might need a bit more fine tuning, but it's a, it's a fundamental asset that they have today, which is now sort of a white elephant. It's sitting there and it's not carrying electrons. 
So the challenge is to make sure that the utility pivots towards playing to their strength. And what is their strength? Their strength is distribution. And possibly their strength is the connection, the last mile connection. Play to your strength, not your weaknesses. Generating a hundred megawatt is not actually a very easy task. You need to raise funding. You need to convince investors that the power will be paid for. You need to build it. You need to maintain it. But the private sector is ready to do that. So what you will see evolving, even in Zimbabwe, is a situation where big industrial players who are now reeling under these problems of price increase and also dirty power and also higher costs are going to start generating what we call local energy. They will build a plant around their own mine and they'll power themselves. They might even use, then it's called a grid type. They will end up connecting that solar, if it's solar, with the grid and the generator. So they create a hybrid energy solution. So what you see both in South Africa and in Zimbabwe is corporates beginning to pivot away from overly relying on a legacy technology and leapfrogging using the new technology to solving their problem. And technology allows us to solve the energy crisis in Africa, in Zimbabwe, within the shortest period of time. Mm. Every corporate in Zimbabwe, if they were to use their roof, their la the land next to their building or their carports, most of the corporate in Zimbabwe can power their own businesses. Mm. And when you calculate that, you realize the speed of deployment would be probably 50 times better than trying to build a 100 megawatt IPP. Mm. I always say, so IPPs generate a lot of heat, not so much light. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice way to put it. And you've actually confirmed one of the suspicions that I had. So over the time we were um, um, in Harare, looking in, in the streets of Harare, we saw that the majority of the... Um, companies, particularly that have moved out of the CBD, have pivoted naturally to solar. Um, the biggest indicator of that was Old Mutual when they launched their, um, I think it was 750 kilowatt plant at their business park in, uh, in, in Emerald Hill. And what you're saying to me is signifying that the over-reliance on the national um, power grid or the national producer is now waning. Um, and I don't know if the system is grid-tied. I think they had mentioned that it was grid-tied, but we're seeing that more commonly now that companies uh, be, besides leaving the CBD because of obvious constraints, when they go to wherever they, they land at to open their businesses, um, making sure that they can reliably control the power in their hands. So they would rather invest money into a into a energy security. Yeah. yeah, energy security Valentine is a critical mission critical for any business in Zimbabwe or in South Africa or in Kenya. Um, energy security is the first problem. Then the cost is the second problem. As you can see, the price is going up. Even in South Africa, the price has gone up. It went up last year, it's going up this year, it's most likely going up again next year. Mm. Now, it doesn't help when you've got a Ukraine crisis because even the price of diesel is also going up, which means most of Africa is powered by a generator today and a grid. Mm. So the utilities price is going up, the price of generators going up. Guess what actually is still very stable and going down? It's the price of solar. And it's the most abundant source of energy which doesn't require much. Once you deploy, we deployed one megawatt of SWEPS, it's probably about two and a half to three years now. Mm. And that system has been working like a Swiss clock. Mm. 
the company has been enjoying hefty benefits in terms of carbon cost and energy security. Now, the technology now allows us to integrate some of these things together so that even at night, solar only works during the day. Eventually, the storage will catch up, but storage hasn't caught up yet. But we've got some of the storage solutions working. We wouldn't be talking to each other right now if the lithium battery was not working. It's on your, on your smart devices. It's now working. We have deployed 500 Tesla power walls in Zimbabwe to power our telecom infrastructure. We are beginning to explore other lithium battery technologies right now to power even big industries. But that is coming, albeit slowly. So you would see a lot of corporates beginning to really use this opportunity to now improve their energy security. Now we come in as DPA and we finance some of these solutions because we're also saying to old mutual, uh, maybe your business is not energy. We're saying to Nestle, why don't you stick to chocolates? It's nice that way. That's your core business. <laughs> Allow us to come and deliver power to you because really trying to use your CapEx for non-core business might not be the best way to do it. It's an accident of history that in Africa, a bar of chocolate has to be associated with a team that is generating power. Everywhere else in the world, the power is provided. They just buy power from whoever is the private provider of power or the public provider of power. So it, to make your business competitive, you don't want to build another power company internally when you can just buy electrons. What mm. you need is power. What you need is energy. The idea of that you're going to ma massively run generators or put deployment in, in solar is not is non-core to a lot of businesses in the continent, but they're forced to do it because necessity. Mm. I'm not curious, how do you then reverse that mentality? Because it's it's prevalent in when I was in South Africa in the in the mid 2000 mid 2000s I saw that as well as, as when I went when I came back to Zimbabwe, I saw it as well. Businesses want to build everything where there's a company that can actually do it for you. So is it a case of um, understanding the cost that you're paying is to save time that you don't have to then focus on building a power company or, or servers or things like that. You can lease it out or contract companies that specifically do that. How, how do you change that mentality with corporates? I think it's, a, it's an education journey, Valentine. And there's a journey that we are on with our corporates right now. And that journey is to educate the companies. When I tell you that Delta has signed up with us, when I tell you Swaps has signed up with us, when I tell you, so it's a journey that we have to go on. Slowly, companies are beginning to open up. We are beginning to see big corporations like Simplatz beginning to pivot away from trying to put some of these assets on their balance sheet, looking for partners to work with. Some, we call them PPAs, Power Purchase Agreements. Mm. They are becoming a universal uh, proposition. I think corporates initially were concerned about even the technology itself, whether it works. And many CEOs I spoke to, and they would laugh at me to say, can, can you run my factory with the solar? And it was almost done sarcastically. But they were not aware that the factory is already on solar, either the solar farm has been built and is feeding power to the grid, and the grid is one that's delivering power to the factory, and that we can generate that power even locally at the factory at a much cheaper price. So I think it's a journey, and but we are beginning to see the particularly the industrial players beginning to soften up. But also, I think, like I said, this is a tough environment. There is COVID. There is the Ukraine war. 
there is an economic meltdown going on. If you have got a pot of cash for your business, why would you invest in non-core business? So the value proposition eventually of energy as a service is beginning to resonate with your ordinary executives in the continent. Some of them actually did buy, put them on their balance sheet. We have approached them to say, we'll buy them back from you. Still non-core to you. You don't need that 100 kilowatt on top of your roof. Sign a PPLA or a PPA. We'll give you back your money. Go put it in your bakery. Go put it in your core business. And you can just buy energy from us. It's not like you own the transformer outside your house anyway. Mm. Or outside your building anyway. So why are you trying to own this transformer? It's still energy. All you want is electrons. Focus on the electrons. If you get the electrons and they're clean and the price is correct, why would you say otherwise? Now, previously, there was also a concern of reliability. Now I can tell you we're working with some of the largest energy companies in the world. So we can stick our head neck out for what we call here our committed service level in terms of power uptime. We can do that. And so this is some of the benefit we get when we work with industrial players like EDF. When we promise you a 20 megawatt, and when you promise you a certain uh, throughput, you will get that throughput. Mm. So and scaling, we are willing to put our balance behind it. Mm. So scaling it down to the to the common household, because it's something I've, I've I've seen as well that Zimbabwean households have gotten to the point where we are no longer um, wanting to rely on the national grid or Transesa or ZTDC. Um, when you go north of Samora, which is the more affluent neighborhoods, it's you can I can now tell having you know been around solar for for, for a year plus that that's a your three kVA, that's a five kVA. The people are shifting more and more away. But the problem with the average household's earning is that it's dwindling consistently as the years go on, unless um, as the months I should say go on, unless if you're earning in foreign currency. So now a three kVA will cost someone at least a thousand, uh, depending on on the load. Um, so how like uh, how do you con- so some people are trying to understand the the cost benefit of solar so the convenience is definitely there that you always have power you're paying for the convenience but for some people it's like when am i going to start seeing returns because with zesa their uh their credit system or their feeding back onto the grid you get it back as credits not necessarily credits that you can't sorry uh, transfer or you can't get as money so people are trying to understand how do they participate in the in feeding the national grid when there's not there's no value proposition for lack of a better term uh, for them doing so so, Valentine, one of the biggest cases we have in the energy space across the continent, Zimbabwe included, is this myth that um, the price of energy is, in Zimbabwe, it was hovering around four cents, five US cents per kilowatt hour. That is a heavily subsidized pricing. And with subsidy, you take money from the taxman and you give it to Zesa, and Zesa pass it on to the guy on the street. You can do that for so long, as long as you've got surplus money coming from the uh, uh, the tax, taxes and from the government. Now, that has sent a signal or a messaging to the ordinary populace out there that the correct price of power is five cents. So the moment you move to six cents, everyone starts complaining. Unfortunately, I can tell you, just in the, between Kenya, Zimbabwe, and South Africa, the price of power in Kenya is hovering around 17, 18 US cents per kilowatt hour. You don't need to know anything about energy. Numbers are numbers. Mm. The price in South Africa, circa 10 to 11 cents per kilowatt hour and subsidized, by the way. 
At some stage in Zimbabwe, it was four to five cents per kilowatt hour. I'm sure you can tell, unless we are these smart people who, who produce our own oil, we produce our own this, our own that, why would we charge even less than the way we are importing the power from? Mm. Yes, we've got Kariba, but Kariba doesn't produce that much energy. And, and, and you still need to import some of the power from South Africa. So, but South Africa is selling it at 11 cents. Why are you selling it at five cents? Now, this is a difficult because to now move the entire community away from there is becoming a challenge. But eventually, either we have to price it correctly or we have to pivot to new technology and leapfrog this old legacy problem that we have. Just like we all leapfrogged PTC and we all ended up with an Econet line, a telecell line, and, and that's how we're going to solve the problem. Let's go to a home. Yes, you're right. Three kilowatt, five kilowatt, seven kilowatt works. Now, is the net metering? Zimbabwe has been very progressive. It's probably one of the few countries in Africa that actually allows net metering. But it becomes an academic exercise because net metering means very simply, you generate power during the day when the solar is shining and you feed it into the grid. And at night, you collect that power from the grid. So you use the grid as your storage. Now, but this needs to be power at night. Mm. If the grid has got no power at night, you can't draw that power. You've lost it. So eventually, there's going to be a need for additional review of the model to make it work. But to your earlier question, I say the price of energy in Zimbabwe is still grossly understated. So you will continue to get shortages until such a time that we price according a cost-reflective pricing regime is instituted. You can't import power at 10 cents and sell it at 5 cents and expect to sustain and keep the lights on. They will switch off eventually. Either you will, you will collapse the government that is funding the, 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 the subsidies or something has to give. Solar, luckily, is beginning to become that bridge. And what you see in homes today are people beginning to deploy these solar solutions into their homes. And that is working quite well for the sake of the client and for the sake of the home. Uh, it is going to take a while because the cost of storage, as I said earlier, is still prohibitive. But even that too is coming of edge. The prices are coming down slowly, but certainly the solar itself has got a lot more capacity. Mm. But I want to understand the rationale behind so the rationale behind uh, subsidizing power. So I understand you don't want to increase uh, introduce price shocks because once you introduce something to a price high pricing something like electricity, everything else is going to go up, making it difficult for everyone to survive. But I understand is there any other rationale behind the, the power subsidies? Because in Zimbabwe now we're 10, 10 cents point six, uh, around about there per kilowatt hour, which as you said is is far below because Kenya's at, at seventeen. So can you describe to me, other than um, trying not to create market ripples, what are the rationales behind um, the subsidy of, of, of electricity? It's a legacy issue, Valentine. It's a, it's a legacy issue. Where are we coming from? We have always, I think for a very long time, probably 20, 50 years ago, power was always, <laughs> electronic power was always associated with the political power. Mm -hmm. The two always used to have to banter every day. So if you start to increase the cost of electronic power, it could cost you politically. 
And so it became a no-go area. It became the elephant in the room. Don't discuss that issue. If you bring that issue, you could cause cost us elections in the next election period. And that's a, a continental white. I always like to pitch it at the right level because then we don't get emotional over petty issues. It's a continental problem. Now, but power is a function of a few inputs going in there and an output. You can take flour, this and this, make a loaf of bread and charge it at lower than it costs you to fix that loaf of bread. Eventually you end up without bread or you end up with very little bread. You end up with a black market for bread. Mm. That's what happens. So the motive is mostly, there is a leg, a gap, a historical legacy gap that was created. We are now faced with the challenge of either leapfrog using technology to address that gap that was created, because you have to appreciate most utility players in Africa, grid players, they've not had any innovation. They've always been protected. Even their price to the market is not reflective of their customer service. Mm. Meet anyone in the street and ask them if they are very happy with their ESCOM bill or their ZESA bill. They'll tell you, I pay it. If I don't pay, they'll switch off. Trust me, if there was competition in there, ZESA wouldn't behave like that. If there was competition, ESCOM would not behave like that. In the rest of the world, we have removed slowly the monopoly away from this utility player. Most of the world have also dismantled the system, left generators as a standalone business, left distribution and transmission. And by so doing, you introduce new capital, you increase efficiencies. And when you increase cap new capital and efficiencies, the benefits start to trickle down to the ordinary men in the street. But if you just do it haphazardly, you will have a political problem but you also have a macroeconomic issue. As you put point, inflation will fly through the roof. Everything we do in life is anchored on energy. And for that reason, it used to be a necessity, a public good. But mm. I think the things have evolved and we are stuck with a legacy equipment that is not even evolved. Mm. There's a joke that if you were to bring Edison, he will laugh at us in the energy space to say, sorry, this system I left you 100 years is what you are still using. <laughs> what, became, what became of innovation? You know, the Wright brothers who did the aeroplane, mm. they left that small little, little thing called, which was flying from here to there, two meters. Mm. What has happened since? Look at the evolution that has happened in the, air, in the aircraft industry, in the, air, in the aviation industry. If you look at the Boeing 747, it has got no resemblance with the first aircraft that took off. Mm. Sorry, ESCOM, ZESA, ah, you could actually wake up after 50, 60 years, it still looks exactly the same. Mm. That is not a mark of progress. And that is some of the pain that we're now paying for. But then that is creating a huge opportunity for a breakthrough, using technology to break through. So, so what you're saying in, in effect is, so you mentioned earlier that um, ZESA or the ZETDC's biggest strength is the distribution capacity or the infrastructure. Would it be a case where ZESA in Zimbabwe, as an example, the ZETDC more accurately, would just simply focus on distribution? And the role of power generation would then now fall into an, a set number of private players? Absolutely, Valentine. The reality, and I like to give this, 
elect dots, is that what they call them? Mm. Uh, Domino Pizza used to actually do pizza and they used to deliver pizza, right? Mm. And they did it. And then some accounting did some calculations because they started charging for delivery. Then the accountant says, but do you realize we make more money from delivery than from the pizza itself? And then someone pivoted and says, okay, forget it. From now on, we're just going to be delivering pizza. Let a bunch of guys do the pizza because pizza is pizza. Mm. Now, Zesa, one of their strongest assets is that transmission infrastructure that they built. But it's a white elephant if there are no electrons passing through it. If you were to open up and allow Zesa to monetize that asset, which is the railroad of electrons, every farm in Zimbabwe that is idle and that's not being used for agriculture should be a solar farm. If you go to, to Tanganda, you see the the majestic beauty of the Tanganda farm. They are still farming tea, but they're generating their own 2 me 1.8 megawatts there. That is the picture of the future. Zesa can play in that ecosystem and actually can possibly shake off most of their debts and end up becoming a profitable entity. Now, someone will say, oh, but people will lose jobs. No, who said that? That's a lie again. When telecoms came, Trust me, there are very few people who used to work for PTC who did not get absorbed in this massive industry that emerged. Technology has got a tendency of a multiplier effect. When Zesa does that, that 100 megawatt I'm going to put in Zarabani will be carried by Zesa and Zesa will charge me for it. And when I deliver it to Mimosa Mine, Mimosa Mine will pay for it gladly and it is still going to be cheaper than the power that they have to import using foreign currency that is a country we are struggling with. Mm. That's actually brilliant. I'm, I'm looking at from so, the, so, the delivery model that and, you put so, up. Uh, and and let's, let's expand it a little bit further. Every mm. warehouse, every school in Zimbabwe can generate two megawatts on top of their roof. Just give me those roofs. I'll generate two megawatts and I'll give it to CESA. And I'll instruct CESA, please carry this power and deliver it to a, a, a Unilever plant. Zesa can do that. The technology is there. And Zesa will say, no, man, I'm going to charge you for that power. No problem. Please do. What Zesa struggles with is generation right now. We have resources to generate. What we don't actually have access is that railroad to deliver the power. Why don't we sit down and have a quick conversation? Uh, in business, we say there's no return on ego. Pack the egos. Let's discuss the issue. Zesa could make a lot more money we will make a lot more money. We could drive the price of energy down to the ground. Zimbabwe has got enough sun and enough land. Then whatever little we're getting from Kariba, we can now use that as best load. Whatever we need to import, we use as best load. Only for now, until we start improving other alternative energy, hydrogen, uh, lithium batteries, wind energy, there's a lot of new technologies that are emerging that will then swap out the likes of Kariba as their life comes to an end. Coal should never be a factor anymore. And by the way, there's nearly $100 billion dedicated for Africa. Zimbabwe can also tap into it. If we can show up with a story, people want to hear a story. If you show up and you start flexing each other's egos, people will walk away. Money always flies away from too much ego and too much bureaucracy. True. Money, because there's a lot of opportunities to go to. You go to Rwanda and see what they are doing and how they are opening up the space. 
when you reduce the cost of energy, you energy has got an effect of improving GDP by almost 10 times. Telecoms was only 1%. For every 10% improvement in telecoms, we had a 1% improvement in GDP. It's the reverse. 1% improvement in, in grid or electricity availability has got a 10% improvement in GDP. Let's do the maths. Let's have mm. a conversation. Mm. You said well, there's 100 billion up for Africa. Where's the fund from? Climate fund. The climate fund approved it a long time ago. So the money is not a problem. Resources follow strategy. Mm. Now, what you and me are discussing is we can't see the strategy. Well, you're asking me, why are we then not generating 100 megawatts? Why is every mine in Zimbabwe not generating for their own use and sell the rest to the grid? Or better still, sell the rest to the next mine that doesn't have the piece of real estate. Sell the rest to the rest of Zishabani. That's my hometown. Mm. Listen, the whole of Zishabani can be powered by one mine. And the residents of Zishabani will be very happy to pay for that power. They would rather have power than darkness. But even at the correct price, because you have to remember, power generates more business for everyone. So we shouldn't sit here and worry, well, they won't be able to afford it. Are you sure that they can't afford it? Why don't we show? Why don't we? Let's not be condescending. They need power. Can they afford darkness? Can they afford mm. kids not to go to school? Can they afford not do, uh, food uh, getting bed in the refrigerators? No, they can't. So we shouldn't be condescending. Let's actually come with a strategy. The resources are there. What is missing is a strategy. What is missing is alignment, aligning the public policy, the utility policy with the private players and plugging into the whole climate movement. This is a perfect storm. There is money and there's a need. Mm, Energy is the the headache for Africa. Mm. We have got a Panadol as a solution for it. Mm, that's very interesting because I, I remember seeing the the the, in it, the solar installation in, in Egypt and Morocco and what they're doing with 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 the, with the sun there and I was, I was very 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 encouraged and yeah I, I'm, I'm trying I'm, I'm seeing it your way <laughs> particularly that Zesa should should focus on on just transmission instead of focus on generating but moving on from that uh, the one interesting thing I, I heard last year was uh, the chairman Strav Masiwa said DPA would eclipse all the other companies um, in the Econet group or Econet uh, 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 banner families um, that's a that's a big endorsement on on DBA as a company. Um, how far how close or how far are you from achieving that? Let's just put the regulatory stuff aside in terms of just strategy and where you've positioned yourself as a company in Africa. How close are you to achieving the, the chairman's ambition? So yes, the chairman's vision was very clear to us. Our job is to be able to execute it in time in quality. Uh, and, and our job is to be able to actually translate that vision into reality. Yes, he was making reference on the basis of some of the these chronic needs that I've just outlined. Mm. I'm sure you appreciate to run a telecom infrastructure business, you need power. That's almost your common denominator. To even get food on your table, you need power. To you, you tell me where you don't need power in Africa, then I'll tell you something is wrong in that industry. So from that vision and the fact that I told you there hasn't been much innovation in the energy space for the past 100 years, there was a very clear opportunity he identified. And yes, we are far gone in that direction. Part of our vision 
or our execution plan is to be able to deliver energy across the continent, Cape to Cairo. We are delivering that energy to telecom towers, to data centers, to big commercial industrial players in the continent. We have got nearly 350 megawatts that we have now secured and we are building in different stages across the continent. We've got projects also uh, spread throughout the continent. Are we on course? Yes, we are on course. Uh, don't pin me down on the dates. You get me into trouble. But yes, we are on course. We believe this is probably one of the biggest businesses that's going to emerge out of Africa. Mm. We always, we always, uh, we were told that if you are looking for a unicorn, a billion-dollar business in Africa, uh, look at some of the areas where parastatals have been trying to do business, and energy is one of those opportunities. But as you pointed out, the 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 partnership with EDF creates that springboard for us to, to meet that vision. So we are, we are, this was also part of that ecosystem or architecture of the growth that we're expecting to come out of DPA. And we are, we are on track. Fantastic. I won't be able to commit exact dates, but I can tell you we're on track. Fantastic. So, so when can we see Africa's first or Southern Africa's first gigawatt solar producing company? Just a, an estimate that you can give that, because it's, it's a goal that was set I would. Yeah, I would argue, it might not be us, but I would argue that within the next three and a half years, we would see that, if not even earlier. I think the difference is, while it took us 20 years to build telecoms, fiber infrastructure, and all these things, those were, I like to call them vanilla, uh, sorry, vitamin C kind of uh, solutions to a, a, a problem. Mm. Power is a real headache. So they, we don't have the luxury of five to 10 years to fix some of the problems. As you rightly pointed out, most corporates are even doing it themselves. So we are beginning to see a consolidation of players coming together to really build a massive balance sheet. We are also on the market talking to some of the players to do joint ventures and even looking at acquisition to grow ourselves. So I think... Yeah, within a space of three to three and a half years, we should be able to, to, to report the first billion dollar company imaging. And uh, inshallah, we will be one of them. Ah, all the very best, all the very best. So I, just to round off, I wanted to understand from your perspective, since you're in the renewable energy game in, 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 in Africa, I've been seeing some statistics, which I, I don't, well, it takes them over saying we don't trust statistics that don't come from someone in the industry because in some cases it's observation and hearsay. So what do you make of the renewable energy landscape in Africa? So we can start with solar since it's the one um, that's closest and move to start the stuff like tidal wind and the possibility of, of, of nuclear. Yes. So listen, the statistics, some of them, we are told there's nearly 650 million Africans today who do not have access to power. That statistics is true. We also know that countries like Egypt uh, certainly have, and some of North Africa, have made phenomenal progress in the deployment of solar, uh, including concentrated solar plants. We also know that I think there is an opportunity. I sit on the Subvia board, which is the South African Association of solar here as a board member. And we have, we have got visibility of some of the traction that we are seeing in South Africa, particularly in the distributed energy space in solar space. So the price of solar is coming down. 
um, although it's been affected a bit by the both the COVID and some of the Ukraine crisis, but it's still relatively within price of solar has come down by 85% in the past six mm. to seven years. And it's still hovering around that, despite even the recent upsets in the supply chain. Now let's go to nuclear. And, and I, I, I don't like to comment about it, mm. but nuclear is a very complicated technology. And trust me, Japan tried it. They got their fingers bent. We can keep going country after country. For a continent like Africa, it is a very far stretch to trying to solve a problem that we have. To build a nuclear plant, I don't know how many billions of dollars you need to put up. By the time you're done, I would have probably done most of the work that needs to be done and covered up an entire country with small distributed solutions. Mm. Now, and the solutions now come with storage. They come with base load. So the technology has evolved very fast. I like to give a simple example. To build a 100 megawatt, even in South Africa, where, they've, where they are in the middle of a storm, to build a 100 megawatt probably will take you 18 months to 36 months. Mm. I can build within a 12-month period 50 shopping malls at 2 megawatt each within 12 months. Isn't that the same 100 megawatt? So you can build the 100 megawatt with a lot of heat and drama because you need environmental permits, you need that, you need that. Or I can go to a shopping mall and just put 2 megawatt. And I can go to a business center and put 2 megawatt. And 2 megawatt, I still have got 100 megawatts. And I don't even need a grid study because the power can be consumed locally and the remainder can just be dropped into the grid. So in places like, things like energy trading has become a reality even in South Africa. Definitely willing, we're expecting willing to come through. That's probably the biggest handicap we have right now, both in Zesa and in South Africa. We need, when I talk about transmission, that is the problem of willing, allowing people to use systems. But, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So we are also beginning to see the regulators beginning to open up the space very quickly. In South Africa, until just six months ago, you couldn't do anything more than a megawatt without a license. Now, six months later, you can do 100 megawatts without a license. Mm. We are very anticipatory right now that the willing will also be opened up, which then allows us to build a power plant anyway and deliver the power anyway. Power is fungible. So you can build it anyway and it can be consumed anyway, as long as you've got use of systems. Well, I sincerely hope that the regulators are listening to this, particularly the folks from ZESA. Um, I believe that, yeah, we are... Uh, Zimbabwe, I should say selfishly, Zimbabwe, we're very far behind when it comes to power generation. Uh, and I'd like to thank uh, Norman Moy for coming to talk to us about this because, yeah, it is, uh, really opened my eyes to the state of, 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 of your renewable power generation in Africa. Uh, Norman, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Valentine. And uh, thank you to your listeners. All right, thank you, everyone. And um, I'm sure we'll be back next time. Hopefully, it's, it's a yearly thing with Norman that he gives us an update on, on DPA every year. But I, I don't think I would, I, would, I would object to that. Thank you, sir. I look forward to it. Right, cheers. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And uh, see you on the next one.